Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. It was a married couple. They were sitting in church on a Sunday morning listening to the pastor, when suddenly the wife turns to her husband and she whispers, We have to leave right now. I just remembered I left the iron on, and we've got to get home before the house burns down. Well, her husband, he never panicked. He looked at her calmly and he said, Oh, don't worry about the house burning down, sweetheart. I just remember I left the water running in the bathtub. Today I want to talk to you about remembering. It's Memorial Day weekend, the time Americans are supposed to recall the ultimate sacrifice of brave men and women who laid down their lives to preserve our freedoms. And yet I wonder how many of us will get caught up tomorrow in the fun and play and spend the whole Memorial Day without giving our fallen soldiers a fleeting thought. Here's my question to you this morning. Do you have a good memory? Once there was a tourist who visited an Indian reservation. He was told of the chief who had a perfect memory. The tourist was skeptical, and so he asked the chief, he said, well, if you've got such a good memory, tell me, what did you have for breakfast on February the 3rd? 1958, the chief replied, eggs. The tourist kind of scoffed, you know, big deal, everybody has eggs for breakfast. 20 years later, the same tourist, he, he visited the same reservation, he saw the same Indian chief. He walked up to him, threw his hand in the air and said, how? And the chief replied, scrambled. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm trying this morning, I'm trying my best. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, the word remember occurs twice. In addition, the warning forget not occurs another three times. In fact, if you studied the whole book of Deuteronomy, you'd discover that it's full of encouragement to not forget, to remember what God has done. According to our text, an important requirement for living a godly life is the ability to remember. God makes it your responsibility 
to remember. Whenever Kathy and I, we drive down Interstate 20 through East Atlanta, she begins to cringe because she knows what's coming. I'm about to bore her with stories from my childhood that she's heard a hundred times before. See, I grew up in that stretch of highway. I grew up right there on Flat Shoals Road in Gresham Park. We went to church at the corner of Glenwood and I-20. My grandpa lived over near Grant Park. That stretch of highway, man, it stirs up. It sweetens my mind with memories. I can remember climbing the oak tree in my grandpa's front yard and then eating those delicious globes of fruit from his pomegranate tree. I can still feel the wind in my hair as we rode our skateboards from the top of the sloping subdivision all the way down to the bottom street where I lived. Every time I drive by that old church at the corner there of I-20 in Glenwood, I think of the time when me and my fifth grade friends climbed out of the window on top of the roof of the church and danced on top of the roof of the church that morning. I mean, memories are powerful. And memories are wonderful inventions of God. They allow us to relive joys and high points and good times over and over again. You know, it's been said, even that which was bitter to endure may be sweet to remember. When I drive that, down that stretch of highway, I begin to reminisce. And though I bore my passengers, I sort of get giddy. Good memories can be a lot of fun. If your house did really catch on fire, and it really did burn to the ground, and you had time to go in and fetch only a couple of items, I'm sure one of those items you'd retrieve would be the family photo album. We cherish those pictures, don't we? Those pictures conjure up sweet memories of weddings and of births and of Little League games and of birthday parties and of graduations. Some of us have home movies or VHS cassettes or DVDs even. How much of that have you accumulated over the years? Today we have the luxury of even filming our memories. I'm sure the Hebrews wished that they possessed a camcorder. Think of the magnificent footage they could have filmed in their history. Imagine a Hebrew family with a DVD. Someone suggests, hey, let's get out the discs and let's look back on all that God has done over the last 40 years. Boy, eavesdrop in on that conversation. Little Joseph shouts, hey, fast forward to the parting of the Red Sea. My favorite part is when the waters close back over and swallow up the Egyptians. And then Uncle Samuel, he asks, he said, hey, show that clip when Moses struck the rock and water gushed out. Wow, that was so cool. And it was the best water I've ever tasted. Then Sister Miriam chimes in. All that manna on the ground, look at it. It looks as strange today as it did back then. We thought God had caused it to snow in the desert. And then finally, Mama Rachel, she makes her comment. She says, put it on feeds freeze frame and let me study that bronze serpent you know it saved me from the plague and I'm sure there's some some symbolism there that we've yet to understand and of course if the Hebrew homes were like mine I'm sure someone else would pipe in and complain who took this footage dad when you hold the camcorder make sure you use a tripod you're bouncing it all over the place I'm sure that if DVDs were around when Moses wrote Deuteronomy chapter 8 he would have added the command, pull out the photo albums and watch the videos and remember the wonderful works that God has done in your life. Several years ago, I had a friend of mine, 
lady in the church who took some of the pictures of my family that I had and she arranged them all together and she cropped them. You know, she did all the little fancy cropping deals and she made these collages. And I have them all over my office. And I'm so thankful now for those photos. Often I'll just pause in the course of the day and I'll take a little trip down memory lane and I'll thank God for His many blessings. I actually have a basket full of pictures that remind me of the work God has done in and through Calvary Chapel over the years. They too help me to remember. And we as Christians have a responsibility to remember. But here's what I suspect. Even if the Hebrews had videos and had photos, they still would have to make an effort to remember what God had done. After I hang those pictures in my office, I still have to work at taking the time and savoring those memories. See, the problem with videos and photos and memories is that they can be ignored and they can be forgotten. I can get busy. I can walk right past picture frames. You see, good memories, healthy recollections grow out of a right attitude. An attitude that's teachable and humble and trusting and grateful. You see, a proud person, he's focused on where he's headed rather than be grateful for where he's been and what has caused his success. A discontented person is preoccupied with what he can get rather than what he's been given. An anxious person is too busy worrying about what might be than to be thankful and to remember what's already been. A greedy person has no problem taking the gifts, but they too tend to forget the giver. You see, if you want to store up good and godly memories and take seriously your responsibility to remember, then you need to cultivate a right heart, a right attitude. You see, one day, on the day that Moses led the Hebrews out of bondage, he issued this command. Forty years earlier from this passage in Deuteronomy, Exodus 13, verse 3, we're told, Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. Notice, Moses commanded them to, re- to remember. Moses commanded Israel then, and in the years ahead, as a people, and his children, and his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren, as a nation, that they were to do all they possibly could to fan the flame of their memories. It was their responsibility to keep the recollection of God's salvation and His provision alive in their hearts and in their minds. But now here in Deuteronomy, we're 40 years removed from that earlier command. The years, of course, have taken their toll. A lot of waters rushed under this bridge. After four decades of memories, the memories now are not as fresh. They're not as vivid as they once were. And now here in Deuteronomy 8 verse 11... Moses addresses the second generation, and he warns them, beware that you do not forget. You see, memory loss is a very real danger. I'm always amazed at the memory of the kids in our school. If you go to one of the Calvary Chapel Christian School programs, you'll hear them reel off verse after verse after verse. It's amazing how much scripture they memorize. I'll never forget the year that the third and fourth graders had Hebrews 11, the entire chapter, all 40 verses put to memory. It's wonderful. Their minds were full of God's Word. When you're younger, you take for granted the ability to remember. But when you get older, oh my, you realize what a blessing a good memory really is. Here's a man's letter to his cousin. 
Just a line to say I'm living, that I'm not among the dead. Though I'm getting more forgetful and mixed up in my head. For sometimes I can't remember when I stand at foot of stairs, if I must go up for something or if I've just come down from there. And before the fridge so often my poor mind is filled with doubt, have I just put food in there or have I come to take some out? Certain nights I stand at foot of bed and my brain gets really swirly. I don't know if I'm retiring or just getting up a little early. So remember I do love you and wish that you were here, but I need to stop my writing because the postman's drawing near. P.S. So I stand beside the mailbox with my face so very red. Instead of mailing you this letter, I opened it instead. Hey, the older we get, the more our memories fade. You know, I used to laugh at memory loss until I witnessed firsthand what Alzheimer's did to my grandmother. She lived into her late 80s, but she suffered this quickly progressing case of Alzheimer. It hit her the last three or four years of her life. And at the end of her life, she couldn't even remember her name. At night, my grandpa would go to put her to bed, and and she'd refuse to go with him. She would look into the face of her husband of more than 60 years, and she would tell him she didn't want to go to bed with a stranger. She wanted to go home. My mom would go visit her, and grandma wouldn't even recognize her own daughter. It was heartbreaking. Here was a woman who all she had left were her memories, but she couldn't enjoy them. A dreaded disease robbed her of what she had spent years accumulating. I think if my grandma were here today, I have no doubt she would tell us to cherish and to treasure our memories. They should be some of our most valued possessions. Of course, this weekend is Memorial Day. It's a day that we set aside to remember our fallen veterans. And nowhere does this occur more passionately than at the many memorials on the National Mall there in Washington, D.C. People will gather tomorrow to remember at the World War II Memorial and at the Korean War Memorial. And a ceremony will be held across the river at Arlington Cemetery. At the Vietnam Veterans Memorial all throughout the year, folks bring reminders of loved ones they've lost in the war. Little tokens of remembrance are gathered up and they're shipped to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Collection. In fact, there's a book. It's called Offerings at the Wall. And it describes some of the mementos that have been left there. Along with dog tags and a headband, one man left this letter that read, To all of you from Echo Company, I leave you my headband which contains my sweat from the war, my dog tag and a picture of me. Another time, another place, I'll never forget you. An American flag was once left at the wall on which a young lady had written these words. May all of you who died, all of you still missing, and all of you who returned home never be forgotten. Connie. You know, there are some sacrifices and there are some deeds that are so valiant, they deserve to be remembered forever. And I think this is certainly true of the crucifixion and the cross and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus was heaven's soldier who offered up his life on the battlefield of sin. He took on the worst of enemies, but he rose again triumphant. Reminds me of the mother and her daughter who were on their way to the zoo. It was Easter week, and they drove past church after church after church. And the little girl was counting the number of the crosses. Finally, she asked, Mom, how many times did Jesus die? 
Her mother assured her, only once, dear. Well, then why are there so many crosses? The mother replied, well, they're there to help us remember just how much Jesus loves us and how he died on the cross to take our place. The little girl was appalled. She was so upset. She was up in arms. She shouted, how could we ever forget something like that? Well, how could we? The cross of Jesus should never be forgotten. But what about the other wonderful blessings that God has poured out upon you? How many occasions has he parted your Red Sea? There have been times in your life when he's brought water from a rock and sent manna from heaven. He's provided you provision when when there was none in sight. Are we faithful to remember? Or do we have a reoccurring case of spiritual Alzheimer's? The sin of forgetfulness snuffs out the remembrance of God's goodness and the rekindled fire of devotion that comes with those memories. Over and over, God forgives and works miraculous things in our lives. And each time we vow afresh to live for Him. But as the memory fades all too often, so does our devotion and our loyalty. You see, it's our tendency to forget, to minimize God's miracles. This is why we lose motivation to serve Him and to follow Him. And if memory loss was a danger to the Hebrews, it can also be a danger for us unless we maintain the right attitude, unless we watch our hearts. In fact, in today's text, three statements are made about the heart. Verse 14 mentions the heart's posture. Verse 17 speaks of the heart's pronouncements. And verse 19 discusses the heart's pursuits. Deuteronomy 8 teaches us that by paying attention to our hearts, we can develop an attitude that remembers, that doesn't forget the great things that God has done. First, I want you to notice the heart's posture can cause you to forget the Lord. Verse 14 reads, When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, From the house of bondage. Notice this. When do you forget God's goodness? It happens when your heart gets lifted up. I mean in the down times. When your back's against the wall. When your circumstances are difficult and complicated. When you're groping and seeking help. When your heart is humble. When you're needy and you're willing to admit your desperation. In those times your memory peaks. Oh, in the tough times, we're quick to recall God's every promise. We remind Him of them. Every former act of His faithfulness becomes a lifeline to grip and to grasp tightly. But notice what Moses says in verse 12. He says, but when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, And you forget the Lord your God. It's after a time of prosperity. When our heart gets lifted up. When our life is riding high. That's when we're prone to forget. Boy, now that we're eating steak and potatoes every night. We don't have to eat those Roman noodles all the time. Now that we're living in that nice house. Now that we got a little money socked away. Now that our heart is lifted up. It's then we tend to forget God. And how good he's been. Reminds me of the two shipwrecked sailors. No hope is in sight. They're drifting 
in shark-infested waters. One of the men grows so desperate, he decides to call out to God. And so he starts to pray, God, I'll give up my evil ways and my foul language and my taste for booze and even my love for women if you'll just send... And at that very moment, his shipwrecked sidekick jumps right in and interrupts him and says, Wait! Don't say another word! I think I see a ship out there. Apparently, he didn't think much of his friend's sincerity. It amazes me, though, how folks remember God when they need Him. But how quickly they forget Him when their heart is lifted up. And that need is no longer apparent. One of my favorite Bible verses favorite prayers in the Bible is Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Uh, Read it with me. Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In other words, God, give me enough provision so I won't be tempted to steal, but Lord, not so much that I'll forget the source of my blessings. You see, the best way to remember the Lord is to never forget the down times. To keep a fresh recollection of the trials and the hardships and the tests God puts you through. Hold on to the lessons that you've learned. Recall His faithfulness. There are two verses that I always hold side by side in my mind. John 15 verse 5 and Luke 1 verse 37. The first quotes Jesus, For without me you can do nothing. The second are the angel's words to Mary, For with God nothing is impossible. To me that's the dynamic duo right there. That reminds me of two vital truths. Who I am in Christ, but also what I'd be without Him. We need to keep those two thoughts side by side. If we do, it'll keep our heart right. And we'll never forget the mercies of God. Notice the posture of your heart can cause you to forget the Lord. But so can the heart's pronouncements. Verse 17 warns us of a potential danger. We're told, then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You've taken credit that belongs to the Lord. You see, Christians today are right to point out and to complain about a problem we're encountering in our public schools. It's called revisionist history. Politically correct historians are stripping from our textbooks any mention of the prominent role played by our Judeo-Christian heritage in the development of our nature and our nation and our culture. They're abandoning the facts and the truth to rewrite history in a way that better serves their political agenda. But, but on a more personal level, you know, we too can be guilty of revisionist history. We can say in our hearts, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. When in fact God was responsible for any and every blessing we possess. See, our pride has a way of slanting the story. You know, many of us are like the tick that nestled its way through the dog's hair and latched onto its underside. We're sucking the blood from the dog while he does all the work. Does this describe your relationship with God? You know, you could take the word God... You can write it backwards and it spells dog. Apparently, it's easy to get it all backwards. 
And to steal the glory that belongs to God. Like the dog, God is the one who's walking and carrying us and eating and drinking and exercising and squirming under fences and dodging high-speed automobiles and avoiding the dog catchers. And you're just the little tick that's going along for the ride. You're drawing blessing and nourishment from God. But now, all of a sudden, you're going to take the glory for yourself. How dare you say in your heart, that your power and your might is responsible for what you've accomplished. Be careful of the pronouncements that we make in our hearts. You know, there are some statements that we would never utter in public. But have we said them in our hearts? Have you ever noticed that when you get together with old friends, past achievements tend to swell? Former exploits become exaggerated? This is especially true in athletics. In fact, I've discovered the older I get, the better I was. When I tell my kids, what I tell my kids may or may not resemble what actually happened. The home run I hit grows a little bit further in distance. The total point scored gets rounded up. You know, the fish you catch always grows bigger once it's been cut up or thrown back. You see, the further removed from the event, the further stretched, the further we stretch the accomplishment. And this happens in our experiences with God. An illusion develops. The tick starts bragging about how far and fast it's traveled. The cars it's dodged. The fights it's won. As if there had been no dog at all. Mark Twain put it, It isn't so astonishing the number of things I can remember as the number of things I can remember that aren't so. An unguarded heart will make rash and boastful statements. You know, I know people who have simply talked their way into forgetting God. They've been so busy articulating their own achievements and exploits that they've forgotten the God who was behind the scenes making it all happen. A heart that assumes the credit that's preoccupied with its own goodness is likely to forget the grace and the goodness of God. Well, finally, the heart's pursuits can also cause us to forget God's kindness toward us. Notice verse 19 warns, Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Hey, generally speaking, what you love, you'll remember. You know, I had a few adventures in my life that that I've all but forgotten. We, We used to go rafting every year. And at the time, it was such a big deal. But I'm not sure I can recall too many details from any one trip. I've been snow skiing several times. At the time, that was a big deal. But I'm not sure I can remember any of those details. But when it comes to people and activities that I love, I got the memory of an elephant. The day I asked Kathy to marry me seems like yesterday. I can still recall when Natalie was born. I couldn't believe God had blessed me with a little girl. A little girl. I can't remember a Braves game that I've watched the night before, but I can describe in detail plays made by my sons out on the baseball field. You know, I can remember. I remember stuff that they even forgot. I can remember the first fish that Zach ever caught, maybe his last. 
I can remember Nick's first touchdown. I can remember Mac's first home run. And why do I remember these details? Because you remember what you love. Alexander Pope puts it, how vast a memory has love. I've heard it put another way. The art of remembering is the art of taking an interest. It's very difficult to remember something in which you have no real interest. In preparing for this message this morning, I ran across ten steps for improving your memory. I'll read you the first five. And I want you to look for a common thread. First, intend to remember. Second, understand what you're trying to remember. Third, organize what you want to remember into meaningful patterns. Fourth, become genuinely interested in what you want to remember. And then fifth, review what you want to remember as often as possible. But you notice the underlying idea there, that that memory is enhanced by passion. It amazes me. Little boys can memorize the stats of their favorite baseball players, their batting average and their slugging percentage, and the number of homers they hit in 1994. But those same little boys can't remember ten spelling words from one week to the next. You see, we're inclined to remember those subjects we're into that captivate our interest. Put it this way, you never forget what you truly worship. In verse 19, Moses warns the Hebrews that if they forget the true God, they will follow false gods. But I think the reverse is also true. Allow other things to creep in. Let other affections And ambitions crowd God out of the forefront of your attention. In other words, follow stuff rather than God and you'll forget God. Human beings are limited in how many different subjects they can focus on at the same time. Men now more so than women, but it's true of both of us. I know women are a little bit better about multitasking than men. I'm always amazed at my wife. She can iron, watch TV, chew gum, read a book talk on the telephone, and spank a kid all at the same time. I I can't believe it. I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. But even women have limits. Did you know your heart lacks the bandwidth for more than one supreme preoccupation at a time? Get too wrapped up in lesser pursuits, and you won't have the time or the energy to seek the Lord. And it won't be long. Until you forget Him. Hey, the best way to avoid a lapse in memory when it comes to God and His mercies is to maintain a right heart, a right attitude. Check your heart this morning. Does it have the right posture? Does it make the right pronouncements? Does it follow the right pursuits? The attitude of your heart is so strategic after all that God has done for you, after He sent His Son to die in your place, after He sent His Spirit to live in your heart, after He's written your name in the Lamb's book of life, how can you? How can you forget the Lord your God and His Son, Jesus Christ? Have you cultivated in your heart an attitude that doesn't forget? I hope that today and tomorrow and this weekend, you take seriously your responsibility to remember. Father, we